Well, this morning we're continuing our series on how to find hope in the midst of difficult circumstances in life. So last week we looked at how do you find hope in the midst of loneliness or loss of a loved one. If you weren't here and you ever struggle with loneliness, which is all of you because we all do from time to time, that sermon is online. So you can find practical advice for how to find hope in the midst of loneliness. This week we're going to move on to discouragement and depression. How do you find hope in the midst of discouragement and depression? And I chose those two words, discouragement and depression, so that I would include all of us. Because even if you have not struggled with clinical depression, all of us have faced discouragements in our lives. We've all had those days, those weeks, those months where we're just, we're just down. We're disillusioned with life, we're frustrated, we're sad, and, and so we need to know how to find hope in the midst of that. But this morning, when we do talk particularly about clinical depression, even if you have never faced that before, I would encourage you to still pay close attention and take notes, because statistically, the chances are pretty good that you may deal with clinical depression at some point in your life, and the statistics are clear that you are guaranteed to know someone who will deal with it and will need your help to make it through that struggle. So all of us need to be aware of this because depression is actually incredibly common. If you look at the statistics in America, currently depression affects 19 million Americans in any given year. So actually the total number of Americans who will be depressed at some point in their lives is much more than that. But at any particular point of time, 19 million of our fellow citizens in this country are clinically depressed. And it's so common, in fact, that counselors now call it the the common cold of mental illness. They see it all the time. It's actually now the leading cause of disability in the United States. It is that common. So all of us need to to know about how we find hope in the midst of it. But if you're thinking to yourself, well, gosh, those numbers are big. Who do I know who struggles with clinical depression? Well, me. I'll be your huckleberry. I have battled clinical depression for years. And so I'm going to share my story with you this morning. I'm 41, and for the majority of my life, I was generally happy. I still struggled with, you know, the, the sadness, the disappointments, the lonelinesses that all of us go through from time to time. But I was generally optimistic about life, and that optimism was founded in my faith in Christ. You see, I can't remember a time when I didn't know Jesus. My parents tell me I accepted him as my Savior when I was four years old, but my memory doesn't go back that far. What I do remember is growing up in a little Bible church in Tomball, Texas, and we were there all the time. For church on Sunday mornings, for Sunday school, for Awanas, for for Bible study, for youth group. We were always at this church. And so church was the air I breathed as as a kid. And the songs of the church was my music as as a child and as as a youth. I, I went through life hearing the songs of my church. So great old hymns like Great Is Thy Faithfulness and the Old Rugged Cross. And and the songs that we learned in children's church. Like to this day, I still have I've Got the Joy Memorized. One of the few songs. I know every word. Who knows? I've got the joy. Remember that? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart, down in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart, down in my heart. Yeah, you guys remember that. (laughs) 
So, we all grew up learning that song. And that song was true until four years ago when it wasn't. Four years ago, I entered a period of my life where for 18 months, all the joy and happiness vanished. I would wake up in the morning and it would feel like, have you ever gotten an x-ray and they put that heavy lead coat on you? I felt like that all the time. Like I was wearing around a lead coat that pressed all of the life, all the joy, happiness, energy out of me until by the end of the day, I felt like a husk. I wasn't even me anymore. And I began to notice that all the things that I enjoyed in life no longer made me happy. Reading the Bible, worshiping, praying, going on dates with my wife, going on vacation, none of it brought me any joy at all. And so I tried to fight back by praying more, reading the Bible more, trying harder, and none of it helped. Despair became my constant companion for those 18 months, all the time, when I was awake, when I was asleep. All day long it dogged me, and then I would go to bed, I'd lay in my bed, and I could not fall asleep because of all of these dark thoughts in my mind. And when I finally did fall asleep, all of that despair would come raging back at about 3.30 in the morning to wake me up again. Not a gentle wake up, but in a panic, covered in sweat. Just covered in in despair. It felt like it was on me. It got so bad that eventually I couldn't function anymore. I had a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. It started to affect my relationships until about... This was about three years ago. Julie and I went to Brian Fisher's birthday party, our senior pastor here. It was a a small dinner, about 20 of us. We gathered together. It was a fun, intimate setting, and yet I could barely talk to anybody, and I couldn't look anyone in the eyes. I was afraid if I did, I would just lose it. And people noticed. And so the next morning, Brian did one of the kindest things anyone's ever done for me. He got in his car, drove over to my house, and he sat me down. And he said, Blake, you are depressed, and it's not getting better, and it's time to get help. So I went in the house and I asked my wife, is this true? And she said, you know, I I think it is. She had noticed that something was off with me, but when you live with someone, it's harder to recognize gradual change. But she knew that something just wasn't right. And so with Brian and Julie both talking to me and pushing me, finally I went to the doctor and I began to get help that changed everything for me. That gives us the first step. How do you battle against depression or discouragement in your life? How do you find hope in the midst of it? Well, step number one, you got to talk about it. You got to talk about it. And for those of you who are astute, you know that that was my same first step in finding hope in the midst of loneliness last week. And spoiler alert, it will be the first step every week for everything. You must talk about it because hope cannot grow in the dark. It's like if you pot a plant and you put that plant in a dark closet, it's going to die. Hope can't grow when it is hidden in the dark, when you are so ashamed that you put your life in the dark. You're never going to have hope. You've got you to bring your struggles out into the light. You've got to share them with other people. That's the only way for hope to grow. But I tried to hide my struggle. Why? Because I was ashamed of it. Because I'm a Christian. I've been Christian as long as I can remember. And that means what? I have the Holy Spirit deep down inside of me. I should feel happy. And I'm your pastor last 14 years. I'm supposed to have joy. I'm expected to be happy about life and everything. And yet I was incredibly depressed. I tried to hide it from everybody. So what did I do? I did the same thing you do here in the Bible Belt. We come to church and what do we do? We put on our happy face, don't we? We put on our good Christian face, our mask, and we try to show everyone that we're joyful even when we're dying on the inside. I've seen so many people do that over and over again, but when I look at the Bible, I don't see that at all. 
I see an incredibly different pattern in the Bible. So think about King David, incredibly manly man, strong man. He was a great warrior. He won great battles. He was the king over Israel at the height of its expansion when it was winning everywhere. And yet here is what David says about his life in Psalm 6. I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. Psalm 69, I have sunk in deep mire and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and a flood overflows me. I am weary with my crying and my throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. You see, I look at David and I see the exact opposite of what I did. He did not try to hide it. He brought it out for all to see. He cried out to God. He wrote it down in scripture. And by writing it down in scripture, now billions of people know about David's battle with depression. He brought it out in the light. So did his son Solomon. Solomon wrote about his depression in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's an amazing book. There's parts of it, though, that are really sad, like this here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. So I hated life. For the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after wind. That's how I feel in the height of my depression. I try to hide it. Solomon brought it out for all to see. Because you know, that's the only way hope's going to grow. We've got to be honest about this. We have to talk about this with God, with other people. That's the only way to find healing. And that's the lesson. If you're going to find hope in the midst of whatever you are struggling with, loneliness, despair, anxiety, addiction, whatever it might be, you've got to quit being ashamed of it and bring it out in the light. Share it with others or you'll never have hope. So that means, first of all, you've got to share it with God. You've got to cry out to God like David did, morning, noon, and night. God sees through your mask, so don't even bother trying to pretend. Cry out to him. And know that when you cry out to God, when you pour out your anger, your disappointments at life, your despair, your anxiety, you are not bothering God. You are not disappointing God. Actually, did you know that when you cry out to God in desperation, you are pleasing God? Why? Because you sound like a child crying out to a father. That is a position of humility. That's what God wants. He doesn't like when we try to stand on our own two feet without him. He wants us to cry out in need. That pleases him. So cry out to God without shame. You're not bothering him. You are pleasing him. Cry out to your friends. Talk with with friends and family about what you're going through. Why? Because God gave you friends and family to help you through the hard things in life. That's why we're here. I don't know if you've thought about that. God didn't create you as an individual to do life on your own. God created community of which you are part. And as community, we help each other to stand. All of us need that help. And so Solomon tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. You have a family here in the church ready to stand beside you and lift you up. Talk to us about what you're struggling with. If you try to make it through alone, you will fall. It is a promise. So rely upon the friends and family in your life. And let me tell you, if you are not struggling right now with discouragement or depression, but you see a friend who is, please do for them what Brian did for me. Don't stay silent. 
Go talk to them about that. Open up with them. Help them. They need you in the midst of their battle. So talk with friends and family. Third, talk with experts. By experts, I'm talking about counselors, psychologists, doctors, pastors, trusted mentors, people who've been through depression before. Go talk with them. Now, let me be really clear. If you are struggling with despair and it has not gotten better over a period of time, or if it has gotten worse, or if it's starting to affect your life in such a way that you can't function well anymore, or especially if it's starting to lead you to think about harming yourself, you need to pick up the phone and talk with someone today. Today, you got to talk with an expert who can help you through this. It is absolutely vital that we be willing to talk to the experts God has given us in life. Now, here's the problem. I have noticed that there is, especially among older generations, a stigma about talking with a counselor or psychologist about your problems. There is this belief that it is a sign of failure or an admission of weakness. And let me just be absolutely clear, that is a lie. You are wrong. Talking with a counselor or a psychologist is a sign of strength and wisdom. Let me prove it to you. Book of Proverbs chapter 11, where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. If you are struggling with loneliness or depression or anxiety or addiction and are not willing to speak to an expert who's been trained in helping people through that, you're being a fool. That's incredibly foolish. You need to humble yourself and be willing to reach out. Set aside your pride and reach out to someone who can help you through the hard things in this life. So I'll lay my cards on the table so you can at least blame it on me if you have to have this conversation with somebody. I see a counselor. So I've seen multiple counselors on multiple occasions in the course of my life. Yes, I'm a pastor. I'm seminary trained. I've been your pastor for 14 years. I need to see counselors. That's just part of my journey in life. I don't feel any shame in that. Because according to Proverbs, that's proof that I'm wise, at least in this part of my life. I hope you will be willing to take advantage of the gift God has given you of experts who can help you through your struggles. Okay, so step number one, we got to talk about what's going on in our lives. Now, as we talk with experts, one of the great things is that they can help us to take step number two. So step number two in finding hope in the midst of despair is trying to identify the causes behind that despair or depression. Because here's the deal, everything in your life has a cause. Law of cause and effect. Everything has a cause, including your emotional states. There's some reason for why you're feeling this way. So if you're feeling something that you don't want to feel anymore, the best way to solve that is to figure out what caused it and address that. Don't just address the symptoms. Get to the cause and fix that. And so talk with an expert, with a counselor, with a pastor, someone who can help you think through what caused you to feel this way. Now, when we're talking about discouragement or depression... That's a complex thing. It can be caused by multiple things individually or in unison with one another. I can't list for you all of the possible causes that would take us all morning. I will just list some of the common ones. Okay, so this is a partial list of things that can cause a battle with discouragement or depression. The first one that you'll commonly see is sin. So you see this in David's own life. He was a great man, but he did some really wicked things. And that sin led him at times to struggle with despair. He talks in Psalm 38 about how sin in his life was crushing him. He uses language like it's crushing his bones. 
He felt despair and depression because he had given in to sin. That, that is going to happen if you sin. If you give in to sin, especially serious sin or prolonged sin, it will always lead to shame and guilt and fear because that's how God designed the universe. Sin always produces those things. And shame and guilt and fear over a long period of time lead to depression. So depression can be caused by sin, but let's be careful. It is not always caused by sin. And by my experience, at least from what I've seen, that's not even the most common cause. So be really careful. If you have somebody in your life who's struggling with discouragement or depression, don't assume they did something wrong. That's what Job's friends did in his life when he was depressed and God got really mad at them. Okay, so don't assume that. There's lots of possible causes for depression and discouragement. Second, negative circumstances. That's a really broad term to refer to anything going bad in your life that you you can't control. It's out of your control. It's just something happening. We see negative circumstances leading to depression in Matthew chapter 11 for a man named John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a pretty great guy. Greatest prophet of the Old Testament era, we're told. He anointed Jesus as king, stellar guy, but by Matthew chapter 11... He's depressed, really clearly depressed. Why? Well, part of the reason is because he's in prison, which is really weird, really strange because he anointed the king and now he's in prison and he's alone and he's going to die and he knows it. And that negative circumstance leads him to depression. And that's really common. You, You can become depressed if you face things like loss of a loved one or divorce or loss of a job, a financial crisis. All of those things can lead you to depression. Now, for John the Baptist, there was also another reason for his depression, and that's the third possible cause, doubt. John, as he languished in prison, he began to struggle mightily with doubt. Doubt over the purpose of his life, the goodness of God. John had anointed Jesus as king, and when that happened, John actually, with his own ears, heard God, the Father, say from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So John had proof from God that Jesus was the guy. And yet, what does John do in Matthew 11? He sends his disciples to Jesus to ask, were you the one or was I supposed to find somebody else? In other words, were you the one or did I waste my whole life? Was I completely off track? John is struggling with doubt and that leads to despair and depression. That's really common. Whether it's doubt over the existence of God, the goodness of God, God's plan in your life, God's faithfulness to you, whatever it might be, that doubt can fuel depression. Fourth possible reason, medical issues. This is very common. You might face some kind of medical issue in your body that leads you to struggle with depression. That could be an extended illness that leads to pain. If you're constantly dealing with pain, that can crush you and lead to depression. Uh, It could be a particular medical issue dealing with the systems in your body that control chemicals and hormones. That can lead to depression. It could be a medical issue that's really good. You had a baby. And yet postpartum depression is incredibly common and very dangerous if left untreated. So depression often comes from some kind of medical issue. Prolonged stress. This is the case for a well-known senior pastor named Tommy Nelson. He's been the senior pastor at Denton Bible Church for a long time. Uh, for decades, he taught and preached and wrote at, at a pace that I can't comprehend. <laughs> he worked so hard all the time, took very little vacation, always pushing for God's glory. He loved it until all of a sudden one day he could not get out of bed in the morning. What had happened? Well, all of that adrenaline that he fed off of, it broke his body. 
and he fell into clinical depression. So that's very common, prolonged stress. Uh, One more possible cause, demonic attack. You see that in the Old Testament with King Saul. He's afflicted by a demon. It leads to depression. This is just a sample list. What I'm challenging you to do is to talk with, with a trusted friend, with a pastor, with a mentor, with a counselor, with a doctor. Try to get at the causes. What's going on behind the scenes that's leading to this battle with despair and depression? So back to, back to my story. What caused me to fall into clinical depression? Well, I met with counselors and I talked with friends and family. And it led me to the conclusion that there's actually three things that were going on simultaneously in me that led to my battle with depression. Um, the first, not surprising, is stress. So similar to Tommy, I, I don't work at his level, but I work hard. And Southwood, four years ago, was running and gunning. There was always work to do. And family life was incredibly stressful because I have kids and being a dad is harder than I ever imagined. And it was right at about four years ago that my wife began to battle a series of prolonged medical issues so that for a period of time, I became the primary caregiver at home. And actually, the research is clear that when you're the primary caregiver for someone who is sick for a prolonged period of time, the likelihood of you becoming depressed skyrockets. Very, very common. So for me, prolonged stress. Second, doubt. I've told you guys before. I've struggled with doubt my whole life. It went away for a while when I became a pastor, but then four years ago it came raging back over the issue of hell and the goodness of God. And I would read the Bible and read the Bible and pray and pray and pray and pray and it wouldn't go away. It was actually doubt over hell that would wake me up at 3.30 in the morning because I was afraid I was losing my faith. And if I lose my faith, I lose my job and then my house and then my family and everything. So I wrestled with doubt. It was a big part of it. But then the third cause of my battle with depression is actually a really surprising one. Because on the surface, it seems really good. Four years ago, Southwood filled. It was four years ago. I remember it well. We had a Sunday where we set up every single chair in the building, and the foyer was full all the way to the glass doors, which seems like an amazing thing. So a few weeks later, we gathered all the, we gathered the pastors in the conference room, and we sat down with the dry erase board, and we began listing out, okay, what's going on with Grace Bible Church? What are we going to do in the future? And so we made this chart, and it said Anderson, Southwood, third campus, fourth campus, and then for the rows, we began to list two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now, we began to fill it in, and I looked under Southwood, and it said, Blake, 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 and all of a sudden, I realized, I am done. No new mountains to climb, no new skills to learn, no new challenges, nothing new to do. You want me to do the same thing every week until I retire or die. That room got really small really quick. Heart rate went up. I began to get claustrophobic because success had brought despair. I can't tell you how often that happens. Did you guys read the article about Michael Phelps this week? Gold medal Olympic swimmer. Battled depression and suicidal thoughts. And when was it worse? Right after the Olympics. Each year, when he came home from the Olympics, covered in gold medals, he would fall into clinical depression for months. Why? Because success never lived up to what he hoped. I was counseling a woman some years ago who couldn't figure out why her husband was depressed because after decades of incredible hard work and sacrifice and struggle, he finally had a business venture pay off. He was making good money. He was a success. Things were cruising. He could finally relax. So why is he depressed? Well, I told her because he was created to climb mountains and he can't find any more mountains to climb. Success hasn't lived up to the hopes he had. It's left him incredibly discouraged 
and now he's depressed. So for me, those were the causes of my depression, and it was only by talking with experts that I was able to get to the root of the issue. So now I knew what had caused my depression, now how do I treat it? Well, there's a couple schools of thought when it comes to how to treat depression and and despair in your life. There's the religious school and the medical school. So the religious school says, well, depression is a spiritual issue, so you need to read the Bible and pray and worship and spend time in church, and it'll get better. And the medical school of thought says, well, depression is a biological issue, so you need uh, psychiatric help and psychotropic medicines, and that will fix it. And some people want to make you have to choose. You either go the religious route or the medical route. That is a lie. God designed you both body and spirit inextricably bound together. What you do to one affects the other always. You cannot separate it out. And so if you're going to treat some major issue in your life, whether it's depression or anxiety or loneliness or addiction, you must treat both spirit and body together. That's the only way. So that's step three and four for us. First, let's talk about how you treat the spirit. By spirit, I mean the immaterial part of you, like not made up of atoms and cells. I'm talking about your soul, as people commonly call it. How do you treat your soul when you are discouraged? Well, there's a lot of possible things I could mention here. I'm just going to give you three particular steps that proved really helpful in my own life. So treating your spirit when you are discouraged. Step number one, continue to worship, pray, and obey. And guys, this one is really hard. When you're depressed, this is hard because you don't get any satisfaction out of these things. You worship and it tastes like ash in your mouth. Nothing. You pray and you feel nothing. You obey, and it doesn't make you happy at all. And so temptation comes, begins to knock at the door and say, why are you trying? Why keep praying? Why keep worshiping? Why keep obeying? I mean, come on, give in to a little bit of sin. At least you will feel good for a little while. It's not like God's doing anything for you. When that temptation comes calling, let me beg with you, please, don't give in. If you give in to sin, remember the rules of the universe, it will always produce shame, guilt, and fear in your life. Always. And that will only make it harder to come out of that despair. So here's how the book of Ecclesiastes ends. This book on Solomon's battle with depression. Chapter 12, verse 13. The conclusion, when all has been heard about all that we despair of, is fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. Keep obeying, keep praying, keep worshiping, even when you feel nothing from it. That is required if you're ever going to get better. So keep praying, worshiping, and obeying. Second step, fight lies with truth. Despair and depression are almost always linked to some lies that you're struggling with, some, some things that aren't true that are rolling around in your mind. And a counselor or a pastor or a doctor or a trusted mentor can help you figure out what are the lies you're struggling with and then what are the biblical truths that you can use to fight against those lies. Because I'll just give you a couple examples. I could spend all morning on this because there's an infinite number of possible lies. Uh, For some people, they struggle with depression because of guilt over some sin. So they did something wrong and they just constantly feel guilt over it. What is the truth that they need? Well, they need 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
They need to memorize that and then say it to themselves over and over again until they believe that if they have trusted in Jesus and confess that sin to God, which just means speak it to God, admit it was wrong, express your regret, then the result is they are not guilty anymore. They're completely forgiven, completely cleansed. So whatever guilt they feel, that's not from God, that's from Satan. And so they, that's the biblical truth they need to memorize. If you're discouraged because, let's say, you lost your job and you are afraid that God's not going to provide for you, what's the biblical truth you need to fight that lie? Well, I would take you to Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? You need to say that to yourself often. I won't be afraid. What can man do to me? I have enough in God because he is faithful and will never leave me. So memorize that. Say it to yourself over and over. Again, this is where pastors and counselors and mentors can be helpful. We can help you identify the lie and match it to a biblical truth that you memorize and say to yourself often. Okay, third step in treating uh, the spirit in the midst of despair is find good things to enjoy. Now, I think most of us know that God has put us here on earth to tell people about Jesus, not to just have fun. However, that does not mean that God wants us to live a miserable life. Actually, when you look at the biblical evidence, God is pleased when you are pleased with the things that he has made. God actually loves it when you love what he has given you, what he has provided for you. Here's what Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says. Then I realized it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few years of life God has given him. For this is his lot. It's good when you enjoy the good things God has given you. So recognize there's a balance here. It is not okay to put possessions and experiences of this life as ultimate. If you worship them as God, then that's idolatry. If you pursue them as first in your life, that's idolatry. But God also doesn't want you to sell everything you have and go live in the desert. That's not his calling on your life. He wants you to walk this middle path where you worship him alone as God, but enjoy the good things he's given you in this life. And that's a big part to getting over depression is learning to enjoy new things that God gives you in life. So for me, This is a big part of battling my depression. What did this look like like in my life? Well, it was this. I went out and bought a little red sports car. Now, I know this makes me a stereotype. Yes, I am. I'm a middle-aged man dealing with a midlife crisis who goes and buys a little red sports car. But all joking aside, that car helped save my life. That car was an incredible gift. Why? Well, because that car gave me a new mountain to climb learning to wrench on that car, learning to race that car. That car gave me new relationships. I met guys at the track who would never darken the doors of church. Got to share the gospel with them, and that gave me new purpose in life. That car led to a new mission. Julie and my, my wife and I, we started a charity here in town called OnRamp. We provide cars to people in need. Why? Because of what I learned working on that car. All the skills, all the experience came out of that car to found that charity. And so for me, I think if any cars will make it into heaven, that will be one of them because God used that car to give me life when life was at its darkest. Now, I have to, at this point, really give props to my wife. It'd be really easy if your husband comes home with a little red convertible to judge him, to criticize him, but she didn't. 
She stood with me and she supported me through that car. I built it. I raced it. I sold it. I bought another. I built it. I raced it. I bought another. I built it. I raced it. It became a thing. She supported me all along the way. Why? Because she knew I need new adventures. I need new mission. I need new relationships or I'm going to flounder. She stood with me. I cannot tell you how important it is to have a supportive wife in the midst of a struggle like this. So you got to treat your spirit. But you can't just treat your spirit. You also got to treat your body. Because God made your body spirit together. So you got to treat your body. And when somebody comes to me who's, who's depressed or is discouraged, and they come to me for counseling, one of the first things that I ask them is about their diet, exercise, and sleeping. Because here's the deal. Often I'll have a college student come to me and tell, tell me, I, I think I'm depressed, and we'll get into their life and we'll talk about it, and I'll find out that they're sleeping on average three hours a night and subsisting on a diet of all pizza. And I tell them, if I had your schedule and your diet, I would want to die too. That's horrible. <laughs> you can't do that to yourself. You have to take care of your body. That's actually a spiritual imperative. When you don't take care of your body, you are sinning. Why? Because God designed your body to be important. It's united to your spirit. You've got to take care of it. It's a spiritual imperative. So, in particular, what does that mean? Number one, get enough sleep. For average adults, that's going to mean eight hours. Some will need a little bit more. Some will need a little bit less, but you've got to get that. For you teenagers, on average, it's actually nine hours, research tells us. Some of you are laughing. Some of you are gasping. How can that be possible? Let me tell you, if you think it's laughable to say that you need nine hours of sleep a night, you are wrong and you're going to suffer for it. I'm just promising you. Your social life is writing checks your body can't cash. It will catch up on you. You must get sleep. If you don't, you will get depressed and you won't be able to get out of it. So you got to get good sleep. That's first. Second, you got to eat well. Diet is incredibly important to balancing the chemicals in our body. I find it fascinating when the great prophet Elijah was struggling with depression in 1 Kings chapter 19. He cries out to God and says, God, I wish I wasn't alive anymore. These are suicidal thoughts. God shows up and what does God do? Like pull out a verse. Hey, memorize this, bud. No, he brings a hot meal. Actually, first thing God does is send an angel with a hot meal and says, Elijah, eat. And so Elijah eats and he falls asleep. He wakes up and God says, okay, eat again. Gives him a second meal. And only then do they begin to talk. Because God recognized what you eat matters. Because that's how God designed it to work. So you've got to eat well. Good diet. You've got to eat at the right time and the right amount. You've got you to prioritize that. If you're having trouble eating right, please talk to a doctor or a nutritionist who can help you. That's incredibly important to your mental health. Third, you got to exercise. It's actually been proven by research that a regular pattern of exercise can cure mild cases of depression in some instances. Exercise in and of itself can rebalance the chemicals in your body and help you get better. So for me and my depression, exercise, regular exercise is a big part of it. I'm not great at that. I'm trying to get better. My problem is that I literally hate everything about going to the gym, but... This is a big spiritual step for me. I know I have to do better there because I'm not going to get better unless I prioritize exercise. Fourth, you got to rest. And by rest, I don't mean sleeping or taking a nap like that was its own bullet point. By rest, I mean taking your vacation. I mean unplugging for a while. When you take vacation, leave your cell phone off. You are getting away. Again, that's why Tommy Nelson fell into depression because he never took days off. He never rested. you got to give your body a break. Okay, so finally, fifth, Consider medication. So for me, every morning, 
for the last two and a half years, I wake up and I take a little white pill called Lexapro. It's an SSRI, an antidepressant. It helps balance out the serotonin levels in my brain. I'll be honest with you. When I first was told I have to take an antidepressant, I was really resistant. Didn't want to do it. Why? Because it felt like failure to me. Christian, got the Holy Spirit, I'm a pastor, I went to seminary, I'm up here teaching you all, and you're telling me I can't get my mood together without a little white pill, really? But then I sat down with my doctor and I started doing research, and I discovered that depression isn't just a mental or spiritual issue, it is a biological disease. And to help prove it to you, I'm going to put my fun science chart on the board. <laughs> when you are depressed, your brain is broken. Your brain chemicals are not working properly. So in my case, it was a serotonin issue. My brain did not have the right level of serotonin in it. It was too little. My neurons were not producing enough. The result was that the parts of my brain that control emotions were never getting stimulated. And so my doctor told me, it doesn't matter how much you pray. It doesn't matter how much you work. It doesn't matter how much you try to improve your life. You are never going to get better without medication. And so I thought for a while, why am I so resistant? What's going on there? I mean, here I am, I will gladly take antibiotics to treat an infectious disease, so why won't I take this little white pill to treat this biological disease, this chemical disease in my brain? God convicted me, it's pride, really, was what it was. It was all about pride. I didn't want to admit that I needed that medication. Finally, I caved in. I gave in, I took the pill, and after about four weeks, it takes some time to kick in, everything changed. That lead blanket that had been sitting on my chest finally lifted I could think again. I wanted to get out of bed in the morning again. I didn't want life to end anymore. I was me again, all because of a little medicine. Now, let's be clear. Lexapro is not the right answer for everybody. That's why you need to talk to a doctor. You need to talk to a counselor who can help you figure out, is medication part of your solution? If so, what medication and what amount? You really got to get expert advice there. And if the doctor does say, hey, you do need this medication, understand that alone is not enough. Even with Lexapro, I still have to treat my spirit. I still have to get good sleep and exercise and all of those things. But for many of us struggling with something like depression, an antidepressant is going to be part of the solution for how we get better. And so I still take that little white pill every morning, but I no longer feel shame of it. I no longer feel shame because I believe this is actually God's good gift to me. This is a tool he's given me to find hope and healing in the midst of it. Now, I will confess, it made it a lot easier when about a year after I started taking the medication, I found out that's what Tommy Nelson takes too. We're Lexapro buds. And I thought, man, <laughs> Tommy Nelson, who's been the senior pastor of this incredible church in Denton for decades, has to take Lexapro, then maybe it's okay for me to take it. Maybe it's okay for you to take it. My prayer for this sermon is that maybe this will finally bring the death of that stigma in the church over taking psychotropic medications whether it's Lexapro or something for anxiety or whatever it might be, I pray that God will finally open our eyes to see there is no shame in that. It is actually a good gift he has provided to help us walk in hope and in health. Okay, so, got to treat your body. There's no way around it. Finally, step number five, you got to be patient with yourself. It takes time to get better. Something like depression, discouragement, despair, that's not going to go away overnight. It takes time to heal. So I'm in year four, and I'm still in the middle of it. I still take that pill, and I don't know when or if I ever will be able to stop. 
And, and I'm okay with that because I look at the examples of people who were depressed in scripture for large portions of their lives. And I recognize, hey, they weren't failures in God's sight. They weren't spiritually immature because they were battling depression for most of their life. No, not at all. If they weren't ashamed, why am I feeling ashamed? I don't feel ashamed of my depression anymore. I actually see my depression as a necessary part of how God is writing a good story with my life. Because I, I don't know if you've noticed, if I was never depressed, then Julie and I would have never started on ramp. And I would have never learned any of the things that I'm laying out for you today. And I would have never met all those guys at the track for whom I may be the only one in their whole life who shares with them the gospel and prays for them. God brought incredible good out of my depression, and he can do the same for you. Because that's how God works. He doesn't promise to deliver you from depression. You don't get any check like that. But he does promise to use it for good, for you and for those around you. But you got to give yourself time. Often we're better at being gracious to other people than being gracious to ourselves. When we're sick, when we're hurting, we want it to get better now, and so we push ourselves. If you push yourself in the midst of depression, it will only get worse because you'll add anxiety on top of it. You got to be patient with yourself. Got to give yourself time. But here's the good news. If you will be patient and practice these steps that we've talked about today, if you will do these things, it will get better. My depression is not gone, but it is measurably better because of the counselors I've seen and the friends who've advised me and the work I've done treating my spirit and my body. It's getting better for me and it can get better for you because we serve an incredible God. He can bring hope and healing in the midst of your life. Give yourself time. Begin to practice these steps and God will heal you. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that you are a God who can bring healing in any situation, even when it is desperate, even when it feels beyond hope. It is never beyond hope with you. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, for any of our brothers and sisters in this room who are weighed down with depression or an anxiety disorder or extreme loneliness or an addiction, something that just feels like it owns them. They feel hopeless today. We pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes to see hope. We pray that you would help them to believe that it can get better, that you can bring healing. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would humble them and help them to be willing to make use of the experts you've provided in our family who can, count, who can counsel them and coach them. We pray that they'd be willing to, to eat right and sleep right and get the exercise they need. We pray that they'd be willing to take medication if that's part of, of their healing process. Lord, we pray that you do whatever it takes in their lives to bring hope and healing. We pray, Heavenly Father, that as a family here at Grace Bible Church, that we would lift up the weak, that we would celebrate them, that we would support them, that we would not see things like illness or depression or discouragement as a badge of shame, but as a badge of honor, that we bear the cross of Christ, that we suffer with him in this life, and that we suffer well. I pray, God, help us to suffer well and help one another to do that. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would become such a community of love and support and encouragement that the people of this community who don't yet know you would be drawn here by the love we share with one another, that they would find a home here and a place for healing and for hope. We thank you for the hope you give us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who makes it all possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll talk about anxiety next week.